Today's reading comes from Matthew 5, 1, 2, and 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You may be seated. Father, this morning as we continue through this list of beatitudes, the sayings of Jesus, these invitations into kingdom life, God, we ask you that you would open our eyes, that we might behold your glory. We ask you that today you would open our ears, that we might hear your voice, and that you would open our hearts, that we might believe, Lord, so that the work of our hands is extended into every area of our life, that you'd be glorified in and through those things that we give ourselves to. And we ask you that you'd strengthen us as we look at this text today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, If you are the ambitious type who has the goal of world domination, uh, you have come to the right place today. Uh, We're going to see how Jesus tells us we can inherit the earth. Fantastic. Now, if you're new to the Jesus stuff, that might be a little bit different way than you would think of in terms of world domination. So we'll look at that. Um, This is Jesus' third of what we see in this list of eight Beatitudes. It's really eight plus one, and you'll see that in uh, November as we kind of jump into the the ninth uh, aspect of it. But the third of Jesus' eight Beatitudes here in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just something to note about the Beatitudes in general that I've not said thus far in our little series here on the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's important that we look at the fact that these are not eight individual characteristics of eight individual kind of people. It's not talking about it that way. Like you can sort of look at it and go, um, you know, I really like the poor in spirit thing and I really like the pure in heart thing, but I'm just going to sort of self-select out of this one about meekness. Uh, It's actually not really what it is. On one hand, you could look at it as the the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Ephesians 4 and and Romans 12 and these different lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you might say, I'm not really gifted that way. I can serve in that way, but I'm not particularly gifted in that way. These are more like the fruit of the Spirit that you'd see in Galatians chapter 5 that we looked at some months ago, where it's kind of a total package of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So it's not a picture of eight different kinds of people. It's talking about eight different qualities of any disciple of Jesus, any follower of Jesus. So again, you don't get to self-select out like you're, you're cool with some of them, but you don't like the others. And you just go, well, you know, this one, I'm not going to pick this one. Meekness is not something I'm going to try and develop in my life. So I don't need to be meek because I've got seven out of eight and seven out of eight. And it just ain't bad. But that's not how we can look at the list of Beatitudes. Um, characteristics here, the characteristics are people who've been invited to make their home in the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're looking at. They see Jesus as Lord. They are his subjects. We are his followers. And we, seeking to make a home in his kingdom, look at this and want to embody these things. Um, Now, all eight of them really, in some way, shape, or form, are kind of upside down or backwards, if you look at it. And when you first read through it, you're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. The meek shall inherit the earth. I don't, I don't understand what that means. That's fine. I'm going to try and do my best to help us to understand that uh, in light of this passage and, and the rest of the teaching of Scripture today. But we look at this and see in Jesus' kingdom, it's, it's the poor in spirit who Jesus calls blessed and says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week we looked at those who mourn and said they would be comforted. And we've talked about this blessed word, blessed as happy and flourishing and in right relations with God and others. That's kind of how we've been talking about it. So it says, blessed, happy, flourishing, in right relation with God and others are those who mourn. And again, that doesn't make sense when you first look at it. And so all the Beatitudes are a little bit upside down like that, and and no different than the meek who Jesus says will inherit the earth. 
Um, so when we, th- I think we have to just sort of own the paradoxical nature of it. And we've seen it over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to see it over the next several weeks. But I think there are times when we look at this and think, this is totally at odds with, with what it means to be blessed. And we have to be rightly corrected by the teaching of Jesus to understand what he is saying. When Jesus is king, um, a lot of things don't make sense to people if all that they're looking for from his kingship is just a little bit of an upgrade on life. Like, I'm doing really, really good, and everything's really good, and I'm just in Jesus' kingdom. I'm just looking for that extra little bit of really good. Like, I'm just looking for a bit of a top-up on my life. I'm trying to connect myself to Jesus because it's a little bit increased. Um, coming into Jesus' kingdom is actually a fundamental tearing down, reordering, and rebuilding of who you are, what you think, and how you live. And so that's why I think when we come to these and we go, man, this is a little bit backwards. It's not a little bit backwards, it's actually the right way. Um, if you think about the way that this was lived out in the rest of the New Testament and then 2,000 years of Christian history, there's a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas. And Paul and Silas went on a missionary journey and they were trying to preach the gospel in places where Jesus' name has not yet been named. And so they go to the city of Thessalonica. They enter into the city of Thessalonica and they do not receive what you would call a warm welcome. Paul and Silas travel about 2,500 kilometers from where Jesus is preaching this sermon, and it's about 20 years after Jesus is preaching this sermon, and they have been impacted by Jesus' lordship and his saving work in their life, and they have been compelled by the love of God to go and spread the good news of the gospel. So they show up in Thessalonica, Acts 17, verse 6 says, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's the greeting they get. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, Jesus. See, if you don't understand who Jesus is, this kingdom of his looks upside down. The people who received him said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. As God's kingdom breaks into our midst, right? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is here. As God's kingdom is breaking into our midst, what it does, one of the things it does is it subverts or flips on its head the status quo, changes things. It reorients people into an entirely different way of living. So what they called turning the world upside down, we on this side of coming to Christ would say it's actually turning the world right side up. And that's the message of the kingdom of Jesus. And that's why at times it's paradoxical, it's confusing, it seems backwards until you realize that perhaps your thinking's backwards and Jesus is about to straighten it out for you. So instead of saying what we might expect uh, about those who would inherit the earth, we might think it's the powerful and the influential and the resourceful and the rich and the competitive and the ruthless who will inherit the earth. Jesus actually says in verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That doesn't make sense to us on a first reading. It just doesn't. Blessed are the meek, for they, and they alone, and they alone shall inherit the earth. It's a a totally counterintuitive statement. It's going to need some explanation. So here's how we're going to look at this third beatitude this morning. Three points for us. First, what we think meekness is. Second, what meekness really looks like. And third, how to inherit the earth, because I did promise global domination, okay? What we think meekness is, what meekness really looks like, and how to inherit the earth. First, what meekness might mean to us today. It doesn't make a lot of sense, like I said, on a first reading, because we think meek is the same as quiet and easily imposed upon. We read it as this. We read it as blessed are the doormats. 
Blessed are those who don't speak up. Blessed are those who don't speak for themselves and don't think for themselves. Blessed are the spineless, the soft, or the weak. Right? We, le- we, we look at the word meek and we think these things. Blessed are those without courage, without conviction, without ambition, without guts. That's how we can read this today. It's just not what Jesus is saying. The reason we miss it so bad is we are used to seeing the people who appear to be inheriting the earth in our culture and in our time and in our moment. We're used to those being the people of means and people of aggression and influence and power who take hold of the earth. It seems as though they've received it as an inheritance. So we think the opposite of that must be weak-willed and quiet and perhaps even lacking commitment. That's what we might think when we look at the word meek. But meekness is not laziness. Meekness is not having a whatever will be, will be kind of attitude about life. The meek are not those who waffle in the face of adversity, who sort of fade and disappear into the background when circumstances are difficult. Meekness is not niceness, although I think niceness is good. Meekness is not just niceness. It's not niceness that sort of folds under that pressure. It's not weakness of personality that just compromises anytime somebody with a stronger personality says we need to do this just because you're trying to keep some semblance of peace around the dinner table. That's not meekness. Meekness is not timidity. Meekness is not afraid of conflict. Meekness is not being afraid of a good disagreement at the right time. Uh, Daryl Johnson wrote a little book on the Beatitudes that we've recommended he interacts with the idea there that meekness means never getting mad. That could be some people's perception of what meekness really looks like. There was a Greek philosopher about 400 years before Jesus named Aristotle. He basically taught that meekness was like this middle ground between being really angry all the time and not having the ability to be angry at all. He was saying meekness is something in the middle. Um, he would say that meekness is like this balance between excessive anger and then total indifference. If you have excessive anger and you're just angry all the time at everything going on, or you're totally indifferent to all the circumstances around, he's actually saying, no, no, meekness is in the middle. Um, Again, taking that idea, uh, a scholar named William Barclay, he said, blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. I, I like that posture, that balanced Because when we look around at the world, like we talked about last week, there's a mourning that we give ourselves to over the state of injustice and oppression and things that are happening over the sin and the consequences of sin in our world. It would be wrong to have total indifference. It would also be wrong to just run around being angry all the time. Meekness is something in the middle. It's angry at the right things at the right time. I think part of the issue with this beatitude particularly, part of the issue is that none of us are naturally meek in the way that Jesus is using it. I think perhaps we don't get it because we literally can't get it. It's not a natural state that we live with. I think true biblical meekness is something that we learn from the Holy Spirit as we seek to follow Jesus. So in that sense, we become meek by the power of the gospel. Our situations and our circumstances might lead us to a place of feeling weak, but it changes when you recognize the power of God at work and how he is working on your behalf. You can actually turn meek in that way. 
So when we're gripped by the gospel, like I said last week, when God gets a hold of us, then we can become meek. And and he might do that through circumstances of despair and suffering and oppression. I don't really know what he's going to do in our lives in these different ways. But what I know is that we're not naturally meek in the way that Jesus is talking about meekness in that the meek will inherit the earth. That's that's what we might think. Those things are what we might think. It's just it's not what Jesus is talking about. That's what we might think meekness is. But second, just let's look quickly at what meekness really looks like. Um, In some ways, I could give you a definition of a term. I could say meek means this and maybe would be marginally helpful. But on the other hand, maybe if I take a more multifaceted approach and I, I try to show you different angles and examples of meekness, I think we can then apply that to our lives in a different way. Um, it's a difficult thing to just define and expect it to really take hold in our life. So we'll try and look at it a few different ways. But there's really only two people in the Bible who are called meek. There's only two people in the Bible called meek. And if you were here a few weeks ago when we launched this series, it's not going to be a surprise to you that it's Moses and Jesus. I spent a whole Sunday talking about Moses. We're meeting with our preaching team this week, and they're going, oh, yeah, I'm going to lean into the Moses stuff on this one. I'm like, I, I can't. I threw a whole sermon about Moses at everybody here in South Vancouver. So you guys in Kits and East Van can, can do that, but I'm like, I think I'm Moses, Moses doubt. <laughs> Nevertheless, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, which Numbers, that, that book you've heard quoted so often. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Meekness is not weakness. But meekness is not natural either. Moses had this encounter with God. He he received a commission from God that made him obedient to go and speak truth to power. To show up in the midst of a situation where his people were harshly oppressed and commissioned by God to speak truth to power in that context. And he's called meek. Moses is described here as the meekest person on the face of the earth. But Moses did not appear by any reading of scripture, to be a pushover. He's one of the strongest examples of godly leadership that we have in that sense. In the situation where he's called meek, he's actually being opposed by a couple of other leaders. And and if you want to look at that text in Numbers 12, let's just say it doesn't work out that well for them, who oppose him and, and are coming against him. And God says, no, 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 I'm the one fighting on your behalf. See, meek does not mean timid or weak. I think it's so important. I, I can confess, I've, I've looked at this text for, I don't know, since 2001, whenever that, however many years ago, 18 years. I've been looking at this text for 18 years. I don't think I understood it the way that I should have understood it. And it's been 18 years of walking in a little bit of darkness on it. It's not timid and weak. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, meekness is compatible with great strength. Meekness is compatible with great authority and power. The meek man is one who may so believe in standing for the truth that he will die for it if necessary. The martyrs were meek, but they were never weak. Strong men, yet meek men. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote that in the 50s, and so we'll forgive him for speaking only of meek men, when in fact he for sure would have meant men and women. But he's adamant in this, that we see that meekness is deeply aligned with strength, and he is adamant that we don't confuse it with, he calls it one of, uh, of the noblest qualities, that we don't confuse that with just sort of a personality trait. Like you find a strong personality and you're like, well, they really lack meekness. Not necessarily. 
And you find somebody who's really passive and very accommodating, and you say, oh, there's a meek person. Not necessarily. That's not what it's saying. Meekness is, again, not a natural personality trait in the way that Jesus is using it in the Beatitudes. Meekness is a quality of strength that comes from the compelling love of God and knowing that he is for you. It's strength in any circumstance, even when you're oppressed or downtrodden. Jesus was meek. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see there where he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart? It's just a different way of looking at the word meek. It's the same word underneath it as it is in chapter 5. Verse 5 of Matthew's gospel. So the point is, if Jesus was meek and Moses was meek, then we cannot accept all of those normal cultural understandings that we might think of when we consider the idea of meekness. We can't accept those. Not if Moses and Jesus are the two biblical examples of what meekness looks like embodied. So what does it mean to be meek? Well, I said meek is not weak, but I want to say that meekness is power under control. It's power under control. Jesus was meek. He was humble. He was gentle. He operated with care and compassion, but it was not in the absence of power. So meek and meekness is gentle strength in submission to God. Daryl Johnson again said, some first century folks used the word meek to describe domesticated animals. Such animals had learned to accept the control of their masters. So there's evidence that it wasn't just with livestock, like he went out and caught a wild goat in the mountains and brought it home and it became a family goat, right? Which doesn't seem like that hard. Goats are stupid, 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 stupid animals. Right? Domesticated in that way. Um, there, there is evidence, and I don't want to build it out too much, but that they use that same language for breaking a wild horse. Like, if you think about every farm that you ever go to, and I know you're city people, so it's okay. I grew up in the country. You can trust me. I actually grew up in Alberta where there's still wild horses. Check that out. There's something about domesticating an animal where they would call it meek. I don't know if you've seen a horse, reasonably powerful animal, that comes under the control of a rider. You, have you ever worked among cattle, a domesticated animal? Also not the smartest of animals, but bigger than you can move on your own. And yet they come under the control of their master, as Daryl Johnson puts it. So I want us to think about power under control, gentle strength in submission to God. Again, not weakness. Submission, yes. <laughs> Surrender to God, yes. Okay, not weakness. Dependent on God, yes. But not wimpy. The meek are those who have surrendered to the lordship of Christ, who allow him to guide them in and through all kinds of different circumstances, and who have received what he has promised. See, the meek are so confident in who they are in Christ and what they have received in Christ, they don't need to fight or scrap or scramble for power and worth in this life. They're gripped by God. 
The meek know what is promised to them. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness looks like Jim Elliott, who was a missionary who walked into a jungle in Ecuador with some partner missionaries to go and tell an unreached people, a warring people, about the love of Jesus. He knew how it might go. Like he saw the tips of the spears that they were holding as he approached them, and he actually met his end at the tip of those spears, but he was not clinging on to his life at the expense of his own comfort and his own fear. His blessed meekness before God told him he had nothing to lose. He could go lay his life down so that other people might hear the good news of Jesus. The love of Christ compelled him into action. In his journal, he wrote this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's talking about the eternal reward and promise that God had given them. If you can see in the notes, it's talking about Luke 16. In Christ, we are promised a life that we cannot lose. And so Jesus says, when you lose your life, you'll find it. That's meekness. Puts things in perspective, too, when you know that some of the people who put him to death at the end of their spears actually came to know the love of God in Christ through Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, when she went back to them later on. Jim Elliott didn't cling to his life, but was quite compelled by the love of God to give his life away, what did he gain? He gained new brothers and sisters in the faith for all of eternity. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Meekness, meekness, looks like the Christians in the ancient world who were so convinced of the future promises that Jesus had made to them of inheriting the earth that they ran toward the plagues in cities when all of the rich and powerful and anybody who had any means to get away fled for the hills. The Christians ran in. Do you know who tells us about these things? The pagan philosophers and kings of the day who are going, why on earth are the Christians running toward the plague? Do you know why? They're compelled by the love of God and they are not worried about their circumstances or losing their life because they've been promised something that they can't lose. And they saw people saved because of it. Meekness is partnered with the promise of this inheritance of the earth, or we could talk about it as heaven or the new earth. The promise of the new heavens and new earth is actually what Jesus is getting at underneath this. The promise that we inherit something eternal. It means that the meek are heavenly minded and know that they've got a promise in Christ that they can't lose. My friend Jack, you might know him as C.S. Lewis, but he's my friend Jack. He said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Meekness looks like knowing what is yours in Christ and living your entire life in light of the future promises of Jesus. Meekness looks like Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday. He enters into the city riding a donkey, which is this humble approach of a king who comes in peace. He didn't come on a war horse as a king who was coming to take over and overthrow. He came as a king of peace. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You know that word humble? It's meek. It's getting at the same thing. This is actually a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. And in the Bible that Jesus and all of his friends and most of the people living in that area in that time of history would have been reading, when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, that's the same word that they're looking at in this prophecy, expecting the one who was to come. Jesus Christ comes into the city of Jerusalem as a king of kings and as a lord of lords, the one in whom the whole creation or through whom the whole creation was made and the one in whom uh, the whole creation, the whole universe is actually being held together. He's that one. He comes riding humble, meek on the back of a donkey as he comes in peace. It's a picture of power under control. Jesus, when he entered into the city of Jerusalem, meekly, He knew what he was headed toward that following Friday. He was arriving in Jerusalem to lay his life down. For you, for me. And he came in humility and meekness. It's a picture of power under control. It's gentle strength in submission to God in light of any circumstance. It's trusting that God will work out the end that we can't yet see, but he'll work it out for our good. What if there was a a revival of meekness? I'm not asking for horrific circumstances and persecution. Well, okay, it's not entirely honest. I do think it would be very good for us. I think it would be very good for the life of Jesus' people if it was a little more difficult. I think the further we get from being aligned with the power structures of our world, the further we get away from that, I think the the more Jesus' church will thrive. I can say that with great confidence because we do look at 2,000 years of Christian history where that's true. (laughs) What if there was a revival of meekness? It's just power under control, banking on the inheritance we're promised in Christ, knowing that he's stored up something for us no matter what goes on here. What if that took shape here, the body of Christ City, where we started to live every circumstance of our day in light of the future promises of God? This is the Beatitudes, the invitation to grab a hold of the future promises of God and to import them into the here and now moment of our circumstances.
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You, you cannot look at that verse and then stand up tall and proud and go like, yeah, I got this all figured out. Like, you can't do that. That's not the posture that this text is demanding from us. This beatitude demands humility from us. And as I've said to you many times before, humility is not a state you arrive at whereby somebody goes, you're humble. You made it. Must be this tall to ride this ride. Ooh, I achieved it. I'm humble now. No, you're not. (laughs) It doesn't say that anywhere in the New Testament. Every time it talks about this, it's saying humble yourself. Humble yourself. I was in a prayer meeting with some pastors a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and this pastor says, oh God, we ask you to humble us. And I'm like, I don't, that's not my prayer. I do not want God to humble me. Have you seen that? That's horrific. God humbles you, you be humbled. I would rather obey the scriptures and say, I want to humble myself under the authority of God. I want to bring myself low before God. I want to submit myself to him. If he humbles me, I'm in deep, deep trouble. But if I humble myself, I'll walk aligned with him in his will. Humble ourselves. It's the response. Meekness is the humble act of submission and surrender to God, who we know is in control of everything. And that humble act of submission, it comes to the promise that all he has is yours. So we looked at what we think meekness is, which I think is fair to say we've been generally wrong about in our day and age. We looked at what meekness really looks like, which is that power under control, that, that gentle authority in submission to God, trusting him whatever the circumstances and hardships come. But third, how do we inherit the earth? How? Right? It's the point you've been waiting for. Secret to world domination. Like most things that are worth pursuing in life, we have a choice to make at the outset. How do we inherit the earth? How do we squeeze all we can out of this life? How do we get ahead? How do we get power? How do we get wealth? How do we get the job? How do we own the property? How do we meet our goals? How do we seize the day? How do we do this? We have to choose a path. It it seems like it is not the meek who are currently in control of things happening in the world today. Does it not? I don't think I have to make a case that it doesn't seem like the humble and gentle and meek of the world are currently running the show. It seems as though it's the proud and the arrogant and the brash and the powerful who are winning the day. So is this the goal? That tension is not new, by the way. That tension of looking out into the world and seeing people who do not embody meekness, who are currently the ones who seem the most successful, that's not a new tension. But a thousand years before Jesus is saying this, David writes this psalm, Psalm 37. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb which was not as controversial a statement until they legalized marijuana. I'm sure it's mint or something like that he's talking about. I should not make jokes in the middle of a text that I'm reading. I realize that every time it happens, it just... Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Right? David feels the tension I'm talking about between seeing the people who don't appear to be embodying meekness in submission to God, ruling the world, and those of us who actually think that we can inherit the earth because Jesus promised it to us, and there's a gap in between. There's a tension between what we see and what we're promised. David knows that. So who's going to be in control? Who inherits the earth? Is it going to be the God-honoring people or those who deny God and his will and they're doing whatever it takes for them to get ahead? Will it be those who take the earth as their inheritance and they take it by force? Or is it those who wait on the Lord who will gain the promise? That's the tension David's feeling. Now look at verse 11 of Psalm 37. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is what Jesus is quoting from. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who totally rely on God rather than on their own strength. They totally rely on God to defend them against injustice. Interacting with our beatitude this morning and Psalm 37 and and bringing them together Donald Hagner says, in view are not persons who are submissive. He's talking about the meek. Who are, in view are not persons who are submissive, mild, and unassertive, but those who are humble in the sense of being oppressed. Hence, have been humbled. Bent over by the injustice of the ungodly, but who are soon to realize their reward. See, they are under the weight of the injustice of the ungodly, but they are promised a reward in the future. Meekness, in this sense, means you can deal with your situation, whatever that looks like, because you have a promised reward that you will take hold of. So how do we inherit the earth? We have to choose a path. Will we wait on Jesus to make good on his promise, or will we take the world by force and lay claim to what is ours? Two roads diverged in the yellow wood, that whole thing, right? At the outset of this journey, there is a decision to make about how we will seek to gain what we have been promised. So there's a way of worldly wisdom that says you've got to get out there, you've got to take what's yours, right? And then there's the way of Jesus' kingdom that says you need to align yourself with him and wait on his promises. Two very different approaches to achieve the same goal. There's the broad way that Jesus talks of, and he says it leads to destruction. And there's the narrow way that Jesus talks of, and he says it leads to life. Two very different opposing paths. There's the way that feels right now like it's easy and free, the broad way that leads to death. But then there is also this like narrow and restrictive way that feels binding right now. But Jesus says that path leads to life. Um, Some of you might know the poem Invictus. I would say it's like Invictus 
or the path of meekness. Invictus is like, matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I drive this path. I am in control of where things go. And I'll take the path that gets me to the end I desire. Or you can have the way of meekness like Jesus our king. Jesus is the meek king who is the king of the meek. Philippians chapter 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ City, which path do you want to walk on? See, the way of self, which is lifted high as a virtue in our age, the way of self means that pride is exalted. On that path, the way to inherit the earth is through preserving your self-interest. But the way of Jesus, when the way of Jesus is lifted high, the way of meekness, humility, humility is exalted. And on that path, the way to inherit the earth is self-renunciation. There are two paths. And you say, Brett, you've got to be more nuanced than that. It's not a binary thing. It's not an up or down, a left or right, an on or off. No, it is. As soon as you start out on that path of self, there's a lot of ways you can nuance it, and you can nuance it till the day is long, whatever you want to say. But at the outset of the journey, you've got to decide. Am I the meek who inherits the earth? Or am I the powerful and the strong who will drive myself down the path to self-fulfillment? I'll pump myself full of self-esteem. I will work on myself and take what is mine. Or will I empty myself like Jesus, approach the path of humility, go down the road of self-renunciation, It's self-interest versus self-renunciation. Will you renounce yourself that Christ might be magnified or will you renounce Christ that self might be magnified? It seems just as counterintuitive as the rest of the Beatitudes are. But as one scholar said, self-renunciation is the way to world dominion. And I've made good on my promise for you. If you want to know how to dominate the world, you want to know how to rule, Humble yourself before Jesus, your meek king. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Would you stand as we respond today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.